0: I don't know if you remember last week's sermon, but I talked about the idea of putting on flesh. I had some opportunities to put on flesh. Bumped into a neighbor of mine, and he said that there's some kind of run on the beach to raise money for melanoma, which is like, you know, so I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And I don't do a lot of jogging, but I was like, it sounds interesting. And then he says, well, it's 13 miles. And then I was like, great. Maybe I can put on flesh some other way. So maybe I can build relationships with people that doesn't involve 13 miles at 7 in the morning in the sand. But we'll see. We'll see. Something a little easier is uh, my wife was talking with some people that, you know, some some landlords as we continue to look for a place to live. And we saw some actually like relate to us, not just take our applications. So that was just like things just starting to happen. And I hope those are true for you. You know, just ways that as you move about your daily life, you start to connect with people and see some bridges into relationship. Yesterday at breakfast, I was in the kitchen making it and my mother-in-law and father-in-law are with us or we're staying with them. And they're in there at the table like starting to eat and things and i overhear family stories start to be told i hear about this time that hallie went camping with her dad and her brother i think her mom must have known better but they're camping they're in the tent it's in the middle of the night and guess what happens a huge downpour floods the tent everybody wakes up wet what do they do they abandon everything i kid you not they left it all at whatever state park they were at get straight in the car and drive straight to a hotel and just abandoned all their gear, all their food, whatever. They went back and got it, you know, the next day. But the only thing they did was get in the car and go to the hotel. On that same trip, later, her dad is driving in another state, and they see one of those fireworks supermarkets, you know, the kind that have, like, giant billboards 100 miles before you get there, and it's like the fireworks supermarket. And her dad says, Hallie, you can get anything you want. To her brother, you can get anything you want. Well, Hallie, I don't know what her brother got, but Hallie shows up and she's like at the giant variety box with like 500 different kinds of explosives inside, you know. And she's like, sit I can get whatever I want, Dad. I got it. We have these family stories, these just good old family stories. There's another family that's got one. It's that time that they lost Jesus back in Jerusalem. Have you heard that one? That one where they're like, you know, worshiping and seeking God and they're at the feast of the Passover, but they forgot Jesus left him behind. That was a great family story. (laughs) It was AD 12, give or take a few months in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus' family goes up to Passover, which was the major feast for them, the incredible, deep, meaningful festival for them. And they're up in Jerusalem. And I wanna ask you a question. You can imagine the story. We've heard it probably before many times, but let's switch gears for a second. Picture yourself as a 12 year old. I know for some of you, that's quite a bit easier than others picture yourself as a 12-year-old. Your parents forgot you in Jerusalem. What are you going to do next? You're a free boy. You're a free girl. (laughs) Adults are, you know, not around. You're getting a big city all by yourself. Now, you're sort of stuck. (laughs) That's kind of an issue. No cell phones, no texting, No car, no city buses. I mean, it's a little tricky. You're kind of stuck. You have the Romans, which are generally like a military presence, or you have the rabbis and Levites, who are like spiritual leaders that make the worship in the temple happen. What are you going to do? Well... Jesus took advantage of this opportunity to sit down with the rabbis and start asking them bunches of questions. They had had like an intense, focused, religious conversation. So everybody this morning, 12 years old, or those who are imagining themselves as 12, you might have had a card in your seat. I encourage you to take the card. You can do it as a family. At least every family ought to have a card. But take that card and just write on it, what would you ask the rabbis? What would you ask the rabbis? You're stuck, you're 12. You're in Jerusalem. Your parents are gone. What would you ask the rabbis? Because the Roman soldiers didn't apparently come help Jesus solve this little domestic difficulty. And yeah, if you need a pen, we've got pens as well. So just raise your hand. Somebody can bring you a pen. But you at least got the cards. We're playing a little game called Ask the Rabbi this morning. When you get your question done, it doesn't have to be a long question. We'll come back to those. We'll engage with those later on. But write that down. And just sort of generally pass it toward the front. I won't ask with those complicated like Z patterns that some people do at moments like this. Just just push it forward. So while you're doing that, I'm going to read Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. There's no fireworks. There's no escapes from a midnight rainstorm while camping. But what Jesus and his family experienced pretty incredible here. Verse 41 of Luke chapter 2. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. But supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. This is why you get to write down, ask a rabbi. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. Any of you can appreciate that, I'm sure. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, every one of us are in a family. Every one of us have a mother and a father. Every one of us have got extended relatives, and here we are as a church using the idea that we are a family. And every one of us have come into a building at a certain time and a certain place for the purpose of worship and growth and reading your word and praying, and we're all, we're all mixed together. And our families, even if they're not in the room with us, they come into the room with us. And some of us have our families in the room as well. And we find ourselves at some moments that can turn into family stories. But we need your leadership and your guidance along the way. There's something you want to teach us this morning. There's something you want to say to us this morning. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to continue doing that. To continue allowing us to connect with you, to sit with you, to be around you, and for you to be moving and working and teaching in us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So again, Jesus and his family go to a gigantic multi-day religious festival in the biggest city in his country. And then they have to, then they leave because it's over. And they go on their way home, caravan, big group of people, animals, all that. They're on their way back home. They realize we're missing someone, our child. We got to go back, which is, you know, the first of many good decisions in this Bible passage. They go back. And I don't know if you've been to Jerusalem before or studied it, but to get to Jerusalem from pretty much anywhere in Israel, you have to go uphill. So now they're walking back, they're going uphill, and they have to make this journey back there. I call that hiking, by the way, not to discourage you from Tuesday, I encourage you to go. But they have to hike uphill for days to get back to Jesus. And then when they finally find him, he says, did you not know I had to be in my father's house? Now, I don't know your mother that well, but I know mine pretty well. If mine had been looking for me for a few days and had to hike uphill in the heat to do it, my first words back to her would probably not be, did you not know? Like, that's not the great way to, like, start conversations with my mothers. They've been looking for him for days, and out of his mouth comes this audacious answer. And I realized as I thought about this, I was like, I don't have these incredible memories of being 12 years old. I don't know about you, but my 12-year-old experience was like fairly ordinary stuff. I don't have these like big stories I can't, you know, wait to tell you about being 12. And I realized why as I was thinking about this passage. I wasn't driving my parents crazy. I should have been doing what Jesus was doing, right? That's the point of scripture, isn't it? Drive your parents crazy. (laughs) I should have been like telling them, take me to a big city and then go hide and make them come back. And like disable the car so that they had to walk back, you know, that would have been like a great story. My parents would have loved that. Would have been awesome. When Jesus says, how did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? It reminds me, don't don't you think that sometimes younger people amaze us with their self-awareness? And then simultaneously shock us with the fact that they're still like young, that that's not like this growth process is not over with. You can, I'm going to look down, but I'm just going to say, stop looking at people in your family right now. Because they can shock us with their immaturity and then amaze us with how like wise and self-aware and mature they are. And you're like, what is going on? Well, we see here Jesus going from being a 12 year old, you know, he's going to become the Messiah, but he's on this growth path. And there's three things that come up for this family that I think have important influence for us today. The first is the family had a lot of training. We'll go through that. Secondly, they had a serious transition. And lastly, they had a deep treasure. First of all, going to Passover was training. The scriptures say in verse 41, it says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And this isn't just tradition. They weren't just out for a family hike, looking to have fun, and like we go, you know, we just hike up to Jerusalem every year. It wasn't Mount Washington. They were saying, we're going to Jerusalem to worship as a ritual of our own family, as a tradition, this was training for them. And I found this resource from Ligonier Ministries that said like, what's going on at 12? Because they don't tell us what happened when Jesus was 11, they don't tell us 13, 15, 16. All these years they're going up there But at 12, what Ligonier Ministries said would happen is the family took their child around because at 13, they were going to be able to be an adult and they would enter into the worship community as an adult. And they would learn at 12, oh, this is what's going on. The priests stand up at this point. The rabbis do this. These are these leaders. These are those people. You stand here, you sit there. This is the temple, because you know, you've probably seen like there's a three part division of the building itself in the temple. So they had to learn all this stuff, and there's animals involved and everything else. So they wanted to sort of acclimate the 12 year old to that. And that's part of what we have as a mindset behind the family service here. It's been going on a long time, but I'm learning like oh, we, the children, except for mine, stay down here and they learn and they grow and they hopefully benefit from the experience. But for all of us, what this passage is showing is we can be fruitful learners. We can bring other people along. There's an element of letting other people get exposed to this environment. But even for all of us, we're being fruitful learners in this place. We're starting to learn. We're starting to grow. We're starting to understand or we're continuing to do it. And we know this all the time. It, you know, you're never too young to learn. You're never too old to learn. That kind of message is out there. But Scripture goes beyond that. It says we can be a learner who acts on what we're learning. We can do something with what we're learning. We can obey differently. Or It's, it's training. This going up to Jerusalem every year is training. And I would ask you this morning, what training do you have in your family life? Not just traditions. Traditions are great. I'm all for traditions. Those are fine. But... What kind of spiritual growth training do you have that you're doing regularly together? Are you training yourself for godliness? We're going to find out why this is so important as Jesus' family continues to navigate their time in Jerusalem. But a former pastor of mine, Andre, asked some helpful questions. He would have his sermon on Sunday, and then at the end of his sermon, he'd have these questions What did I learn about God today? What did I learn about myself today? Do I have a need for God to meet? What's another thing I can do next? There's all kinds of like resources available for this. I'm just throwing out a few. What I learn about God or myself, and do I have a need or do I have a next step of action to take? God's working in this 12-year-old to create the Savior of the world, the bread of life, the resurrection and the life, the hope of the nations, the light of the world. But he's also being formed. He's sitting here with rabbis, asking them questions and listening to what they're saying, and he's learning And when he's asked about this, he says, did you not know I had to be about my father's business? Some translations say, did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? And I think the father's business, just to be kind of clear and push into what does that mean a little bit. My father's business means learning and growing. It means being formed. It means being prepared, being trained for something later. It's being surrounded by God's devout people. And learning, there's an example here as we study God's word together that we're centered and we're trained and we're prepared to become someone. Paul himself, an apostle who went around planting churches and sharing the gospel in all kinds of cities and going everywhere he could and doing all these things during these times, the biblical times. He said, I've not attained it, meaning the purpose of my life, the identity that I want to have. I've not attained it, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So he's always maintaining that fruitful learner status. Now, after the training, almost always comes a transition. In the middle of the training, Jesus' family encounters a transition. People that are growing are changing. And then the Bible doesn't explain did Jesus get forgotten? Like, we don't understand exactly how this did he get forgotten? Was he hiding? Was it like, you know, some misunderstanding, you know, where Mary's like, oh, he's with Joseph. Just like, well, he's, no, he's with the uncle. And, you know, like, we don't know. We don't know. But somehow Jesus gets left behind. And this separation from his family turned out to be a good thing. These family traditions needed shakeups, needed a little disturbance, needed to rock the boat a little bit. And I say that as somebody who loves routines. <laughs> I love habits. I said earlier I like traditions, right? The idea of a tradition is we've been doing it this way for a long time and we don't even remember anymore why we do it this way, but we're going to keep doing it cuz we like it. I like routines. I like routines. It's great. But they go sideways sometimes and I don't like that very much. I don't go I don't like that. Joseph and Mary had a groove as parents. We've been doing it for 11 years. It's Passover. We're Jewish. It happens every year, same time. We know the meaning. We know the story. We understand what we're retelling. We're going to pass it on to our kids. We're going to Jerusalem again, uphill, you know, all that, right? We've done it 11 years. What does the child do? Something we've never done before. He disappears or gets left behind or whatever, We've never had this Passover, you know, what are we going to do? I would say this for us as parents. How do our 12-year-olds fill the empty time in their lives? Like, just kind of observe from the background, like, what happens when these these routines of ours get kind of sideways and that child has, like, unstructured time? What do they fill it with? Because I think it clues us in a little bit. What are they ready for or what do they need? Where are they going? And to those of you who are not parents, I would say... If you're children, I would just say, this is kind of true for you, too. I hope your parents don't leave you today in Hyannis or take you to New York or you know Chicago and like leave you for a few days. But if they did, what would you fill your time with? What would you pursue? What would you try to learn? Because you'd be in your own groove thinking about whatever you want in the big city and whatever's a good time for you and kind of how you live your daily life as a child. And then disruption comes in. That's an opportunity. Jesus wasn't an 11-year-old anymore. He didn't do the things he did then. He suddenly had a new opportunity. And it's a little uncomfortable maybe for him and for everyone else, but it's a growth chance. So I say again, you know, if your parents left you somewhere, what would you do? How would you spend your time? What would draw your attention? Where do you want to be spiritually? What would you ask people around you? How would you pray or connect with God while you were lost? So let's play the Ask a Rabbi game. Did everybody remember which direction is forward? I got one card here, that's not a good sign. Just one card, so pass them forward if you haven't yet. We're gonna play Ask a Rabbi, thank you. Sorry to those of you who are on Facebook, we will uh, send them along. Thank you, thank you. Hey, a volunteer, I didn't even ask, but thank you. Oh, you've got a bunch of them. All right, let's see what some of these, oh, here we go. We may not get through all of these. I love that you participated, but this is your chance right here. Ask a rabbi. Full disclosure, I am not a rabbi, so I will not be answering these questions. I'm not a rabbi. I don't know a rabbi. But if you do, we can keep these and take them. Question number one, what led you to become a rabbi? Number Another one, why are the Romans in control? What can be done to change that? Why did God make mosquitoes? Always, always a question. Always a question. How can I find my parents? Now there's a practical thinker. There's a practical thinker. Who do you think the Messiah is? That's another good question. I would have loved that would have stirred up some con- conversation. Let's see. I need a place to stay. Can you help me? Another see this is what's good. Strategic thinking. Strategic thinking. Deal with your practical needs first. Whoever came up with those questions, you should go hiking on Tuesday. Just saying. Where, oh, oh okay, where is your joy? Are you happy? That's a really good question, too. I'm curious. How do I find my family? Good thinking. Can you build a swimming pool in Nazareth? Signed, Jesus. So, that's very good. Prove God is real. Show how to see God in real life. That's a good question. It's another really practical one. Why'd you decide to be a rabbi? Where is lunch? Another important, important question. So your mom and dad are gone. Lunch is not automatically guaranteed anymore. Let's see here. We'll have a couple of more. Where is the temple? How can I go home? Both good questions. Rabbis might have answers to some of those. We've got all these questions. And and what we see is that Jesus is growing up. We don't know what he was asking, but they're getting astonished. They're getting amazed. He's taking the opportunity to grow and it lines up with his own destiny and his own identity. He's trying to grow up. And then his mother shows up. And she responds with this sort of this misunderstanding because she's not the same woman either. Number one, she's kind of been through this stressful experience for her and Joseph both, right? They're looking for their child, hiking uphill in the heat, all of that. It's not Passover they're going back for. They're just trying to find Jesus. And they don't understand. You know, they're confused. That's why she asks the question. I don't think Jesus understands either. So they're like, why are you doing this to us? And he's like, why didn't you think I'd be here? This is how like people miss each other. You know, it's like, this is called missing each other. And it's bumpy to do it together because just when somebody gets in a routine, somebody else gets you out of the routine. That's what happens within like a family. It's what happens within a church. People start going, I was just starting to grow. I was just starting to make spiritual progress. I'm going in a new direction. You're messing up my mojo here. I'm following him, like, you got to slow down, back off, speed up, right? Family moments get a little chaotic. I wanted to suggest just a few things that I think help with this. As I reflected on what did Mary and Joseph and Jesus do, I think one thing that's really helpful in these kind of moments is just ask, who's responsible for what? Because people that have start to have a little bit of agency, people who start to have, like, people in adolescence, adults, of course, like, who's, who's actually responsible for what? You know, was Jesus supposed to keep up with himself? All that kind of stuff got to get worked out. Was it his parents who should have checked? Was it Joseph? You know, whatever. Who's responsible for what? And chances are there's some shared responsibility, but who's responsible for what? Number two is everybody taking their responsibility without anxiety for somebody else. Because it's easy to start feeling like, well, I told you to do that. Well, I don't know. I wanted him to do this, and I wanted him to do, well, am I just taking my own responsibility without worrying about whether somebody else has taken theirs? You can still talk about it, but you got to watch the anxiety meter. I don't know about you, but I try to have an anxiety meter and pay attention to when I'm getting worked up. Number three, is everybody constructively sharing their feelings and thoughts? Does everybody get a chance to talk and be heard? A joke about like what I wouldn't say to my mother if she'd been looking for me for days. But at the same time, I got to give Jesus credit that he's like, well, didn't you know this is where it'd be? Because you've been teaching me for 11 years to come up here and listen to these rabbis and be in this building. So I'm kind of doing what you told me to do. You know, like I think I did the right thing. There's some kind of interplay going on there. And I think the family gets it right. She says what she's feeling. He says what he's thinking. They're talking through it. It reminds me of the way that tree branches grow when they're reaching for the light. Tree branches always, it's just like this bizarre thing. The the routine structured way of my brain is like, just grow in a straight line. Just like, just up, out, straight lines, straight lines. You know, geometry was a great class for me to take. Algebra not so much. It's like just straight lines. Biology, I didn't even try to take. So, But trees grow toward the light. And they're all, each branch is like doing its own thing. There's a way that we're growing, a way that children are growing. It's according to training. It's toward the light, but it's not exactly predictable. This is why I think we end up saying we've been teaching our kids for years and they're still confusing us. We don't quite get why are you growing the way you're growing? Because we thought you were going to do the right and you go to the left. We thought you were going up and you kind of go out. My kids' car seats are a great example. Like, they're, they're literally, like, changing. It's like we have to stop this car seat because they're no longer f- rear-facing, inclined. They're now forward-facing, inclined. And then they're not forward-facing anymore. They're, like, I mean, they're not, they're always forward-facing, but they're upright. And the seats change, and the sizes change, and the seat belt attaches differently. And that's just, like, one little example. But that's all happening emotionally and spiritually and mentally, too. And I say this for those of you who are youth, like, you're growing up, too, I love what verse 52 says here about Jesus. It says, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. We can spend a lot of time just on that. But it means that he's growing up in the right way. Wisdom just means I know how to live life so that good things happen. I know how to live life so that my life turns out in a right way. That's, that's the big idea of wisdom, the way God would want it to go. And he grows with favor in God and man, meaning I'm experiencing more of God's grace, and I'm having good relationships with human beings. Good relationship with God, good relationship with human beings. That's what he's growing into. Now, the dominant attitude of our day is, I don't need a teacher. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. I, don't need, I can just make my own way. And Jesus is saying, I think I'm going to find some adults who know God. I'm going to study his word. I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. I'm going to let some other people invest in my life. Your life is your life. It is your life, but you're not solely responsible for it yet. It's not only your life. So what are you growing in? What's true of you? Putting it in the terms of Jesus in verse 52, what are you increasing in? What are you becoming? Last bit of encouragement I'll give those of you who travel places with your parents or get, you know, intentionally left by your parents is if you're leaving, tell them where you're going. That's just another like side note. Just tell your mother where you're going, at least probably tell your father, but definitely tell your mother when she comes to get you. And she will think about what you say to her, because it could be a long ride back to Nazareth, (laughs) if you know what I mean. This family is trained This family has transitioned, but there's one last thing to talk about, and that's their treasure. But before we can do that, I just just point out to you all the reactive emotions in this passage. The rabbis are amazed. Mary and Joseph are upset. They're astonished. They're distressed. I say upset because it's both positive and negative emotions that they're feeling. They're astonished. They're distressed. They're anxious. And then at the very end, it says Mary's treasuring all these things. What is going on? I mean, the rabbi piece, fine. They're amazed. That's kind of an intellectual, like, whoo, Jesus, he's asking all these great questions. But Mary's like, you know, Joseph, they're on this roller coaster. But it ends with treasuring, which surprises me. I was chatting with my friend Andrew. He's a therapist. He shared something intriguing. In his work as a therapist, he's looked at brain scans where people get exposed to certain images or experiences And then parts of the brain light up, in his words, to show what's going on in the brain. This this just technology allows him to see it or others to see it. So I'm asking him, and, and we're talking about it, and he said something really surprising to me. If you are doing a brain scan on somebody and you show them an image or somehow expose them to something really frightening, think grizzly bear charging at you in the wilderness without plexiglass between you. that's not the zoo, like wilderness grizzly bear rampaging right at you. The brain scan lights up with certain part of the brain. And then if you expose someone to the most beautiful, glorious, wonderful reality ever, the love of God, an unbelievable sunset, the same part of the brain activates. Same place. So tremendous fear or tremendous wonder both activate this same part of the brain. So, I think he was saying that's why Mary can shift in this passage from astonished to greatly distressed, because it's probably the same part of her brain getting activated. But, and and to which I agree with him, but most of us aren't quick to treasure that kind of experience. Most of us aren't like, whew, that was a great, amazing roller coaster from hunting for my child in the largest city in my country to, man, I'm treasuring this. Wasn't this wonderful? How does this become like a good old family story so fast? Well, I think it's part of the answer is to just remember what you treasure. Part of it's just time, I think, but part of it's holding on to what's priceless in your family. Some of it might be those questions I shared earlier. Who's responsible for what? Is everybody talking about what they feel? Are people going back and forth in a respectful conversation? That's part of it. Can you ground yourself in truth Can you say, well, people matter more than the stress I'm feeling right now? This week, one of my boys wanted to climb up on my shoulder. He's young enough. He still wants to climb up in my arms. So he wants to climb up on my shoulder. The thing I tell you is I was late for work. I mean, honestly, honestly, I was like late for life. It was one of those days where it's just, like, late for whatever, right? Just, like, there, I mean, the, I, people would say, like, life's off the, you know, the wheels have, like, fallen off. I'm like, I don't even know where the wheels are anymore. <laughs> and he wants to be held. And somehow in that moment, I was like, I'm just going to pick him up. I'm going to be late for work. I'm going to be late for life. The chores are going to continue to go undone, which personally bothers me because I like to get things done. For us as parents and kids, we can journey together. We can handle our transitions by honoring our treasures. Training, like what this family did, preserves their treasures during their transitions. In my mind, something happened between verse 50. They don't understand what Christ is doing. And verse 51 says, he went down with them and he continued in subjection with them. What happened in that family is best expressed, I think, that Mary treasured these things. Instead of trouble, Mary had treasure. She had treasure because I think she acted a certain way in Jerusalem to maximize the trip to Nazareth, and this is partially what Jesus did. I mean, his answer, right, I was saying before, like it's a long ride back to Nazareth, but I think Mary had to face that too. The way that we go get each other, the way we reach out to each other can build trust. It can show respect. It can express mercy more than judgment. God says he desires mercy more than judgment. So we can express mercy more than judgment. A lot of what went right in this family had a lot to do with how they acted before they went home. And I, got, I had to ask myself an honest question this week. Do my kids want to go home with me? Do I want them to go home with me? But do they want me going home with them? How do they feel about that? I think the way that Mary acted toward Jesus after finding him kind of reset the family equilibrium, kind of like let the conflict come up, kind of process it and kind of like reset the equilibrium. So don't let our confusion, our conflict, the growth that's got us on different pages drive us apart. Don't stuff your feelings. Don't silence other people in the family. It's better to be together. The book of Ephesians speaks to fathers one fathers at one point and says, Don't exasperate your children. Are children that are growing getting to have some developmentally appropriate freedom? Because they're not who they were, like they don't stay the same. <coughs> and and sometimes they do things that are scary or uncomfortable or confusing as they grow. Do they want to go home with us? And and children, how can you work out submission to your parents? It's not submission that always maybe was the same as before. At some point, it transitions from what it was into something that looks a little more like respectful cooperation. And I'm not sure how that kind of unfolds and exactly when, but over time, it just becomes more and more and more of respectful cooperation and collaboration. If you can learn that now, if you can baby step that now, it'll be a lot better down the road. You'll have a stronger, more wonderful experience with your parents. Those ride home to Nazareth will be a lot more fun. Jesus wanted to become a certain kind of person. He spoke up about it. He wasn't rebelling. He wasn't being disrespectful. The Bible says he never sinned. So what we see today is Jesus getting it right. But he still had to submit some. He had to respectfully cooperate with his parents and go back down to them. This stirs up some emotions in me. Might do the same for you. There's training going on in your family. It doesn't stop. You're laying down rails. You're cutting a path through the jungle, so to speak, of your own family relationships. And this is a jungle, so to speak, with sin and salvation. There's a future that's yet to be lived, things not figured out. But Mary and Joseph show us we can train for our transitions. We can go through our transitions and hang on to our treasures. You can train, you can at least remember, I'm training to hang on to my my treasures, even with all my transitions. I invite you to join me in prayer this morning as we close. Jesus, we thank you that you've been here before, and we thank you, Father, and we thank you, Holy Spirit. In some ways, it defies description, Jesus, to think of you as a 12-year-old who had this real experience and also to now be praying to you when we're learning from you back then. But we worship you because you were faithful. You were faithful on earth with people who were frustrated with you, and rightly so, and you handled it with grace and with truth because that's how you always handle everything. We ask you to be gracious and truthful with us. We ask you to be long-suffering and patient with us. We're trying to train ourselves. We all want a family relationship that is something we treasure, but that's not easy It's definitely not easy for us. So we ask that we would grow in favor with God and man. We ask that we would grow in wisdom. We ask for your specific help in our own family situations. As we navigate change, as we navigate busyness, conflict, whatever it is, would you show us what are the pieces we need to hang on to? This is what all of us deal with so much of the time in our lives. And you only showed us one time when you dealt with this kind of thing in your family. But you ended up with a family story that is worth telling 2,000 years later. And I pray for my dear brothers and sisters and for my own family that we'd end up with a family story that's worth telling in the decades to come. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.